Hey guys, thanks for joining us again with our study on the Gospel of Luke. We're into Luke chapter 3. So we've spent the last number of weeks kind of going through that um, uh, announcement of Jesus. We have the childhood of Jesus and we're now entering into this adult sphere of, of the story. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2 verse 1 to 20. Uh, Luke chapter, sorry, Luke chapter 3 verses 1 to 20. And if you don't know where the Gospel of Luke is, in the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. People worked hard to put it there. Please use it and uh, don't feel any shame in it because by using it, you're going to get familiar with where things are. So Luke chapter 3, verse 1 to 20. I'm going to read verses 1 to 3 just to start us off today. So here's what it says. In the 15th year of the, of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea, Herod Tetrarch uh, of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Ituria and of Traconitis and, and Licinius, tetrarch of Albine. During a high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you so much for our time together. And I pray, Lord, that as we look into your word, as we're looking into your servant, John, uh, Lord, that we would be able to learn and grow and develop in our understanding and deepening of our faith in you. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. So, many have heard of John the Baptist, but originally his name was John, son of Zechariah, or John ben Zechariah. And, and so, there, there wasn't necessarily a full understanding of what John's ministry was going to be until we get to this place where we have uh, John being this preacher and his goal for people was to repent of their sins. He wanted them to experience God's saving grace and to live holy lives. So John was a guy who for a lot of people uh, he, he would have been very abrupt. He would have been very bold in what he was saying. He's proclaiming that the door of repentance is open for all who want to enter in and receive God's grace and His mercy. And he's really busying himself with pre proclaiming the message of the kingdom of heaven and the coming of the Messiah. And so John is determined to do his best to help people be ready for the Messiah to come, the Savior of the world. And it's important for us to understand that John is much more than just this, what some people would presume, a screaming evangelist. John's not interested in creating an atmosphere of guilt and remorse and just leaving it there. And it's not what he's about at all. John's interested in people experiencing the transformation that not only impacted how they interacted with other people, but it also transforms their lives. John wants them to experience what it means to have, uh, like to be a genuine human being reflecting God's glory and honor. You could say that John wants them to experience what it means to live out a life of holiness in this world. That's kind of the theme surrounding John and what he's about and what he's calling people into. And so when, when you look backwards in time and you look at all the other prophets that you find within the Old Testament, you find that there's a similar theme that way. That Israel had kind of gone astray. God raises up a prophet to draw people back to himself. And there's a lot of challenges that the prophet is offering the people of Israel at that time. 
And then when we get back into our passage here and we read uh, verses 1 and 2 that we, we already read, uh, ver- these verses help us to determine the date and ministries of John and Jesus. You see, in ancient dating methods um, that are employed, they, what they typically would do is they would say, rather than talking about the specific year, they would associate the time with who the ruler was at the time. And so in this one, we have verse 1. It cites some political personalities. He says, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, and Tiberius Caesar began to rule in AD 14. And his 15th year then would have been August of 2028 to August, uh, sorry, not 2028, sorry for that, AD 28 to August of AD 29. That's roughly the time of that 15th year of the reign of Tiberius. And Tiberius was the second emperor of Rome, right? So Caesar Augustus or Octavian was the first emperor of Rome. You have Tiberius. Caesar being the second emperor of Rome. Passage also tells us that Pontius Pilate was the governor over Judea, and he was governor over Judea from AD 26 to AD 36. Herod, uh, Herod Antipas, he's the son of Herod the Great. He was the tetrarch of Galilee from about 4 BC to 39 AD. His brother Philip was tetrarch over Ituria and the region of Trachonite. Trachonitis from 4 BC to about AD 33 to 34. And then finally, you have a guy by the name of uh, Licinius, who was the tetrarch of Abilene. Now, uh, we don't actually know the specific dates, um, but we do know that the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry was roughly around 28 or 29 AD. And that's some pretty significant stuff in terms of helping us understand where we are within world history. Luke chapter 3 verse 2 mentions some religious personalities as well. Mentions Annas. Uh, Annas was the official high priest in Israel until about AD 15. Uh, While people still held Annas in high regard and treated him like high priest, it was his son-in-law Caiaphas who was the official high priest from about AD 18 to 36, so during the time of John the Baptist and Jesus. Now in the Old Testament, the ministry of the prophets was dated alongside governing kings, and so in preparing to introduce John the Baptist, Luke uses this historical time stamping to let us know uh, when John's ministry was gonna be in relationship to the current rulers, And it kind of demonstrates also in terms of its pattern that John was a prophet of God. Now, if you keep looking at verse 2, we find that John, he's living in solitude within the wilderness uh, for most of his life. And at the right time, the word of God came to John. And this means that God revealed a word or revealed his purpose to John. It means that Uh, God called him to be a prophet, and God gave him the message that he was to proclaim. Now, here's the thing that's really important, because there's a lot of questions that come along with this one, because John uh, the Baptist and Jesus were related. God did not tell John everything, only what he was to proclaim. So John did not, in fact, actually know that Jesus was God. What he knew and what he proclaimed was that Jesus was the Messiah. And so then you have this um, account that 
begins to identify the, the coming of John, right? And so it says, a voice calling out in the wilderness, prepare, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain hill made low, the crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, all the people will see God's salvation. And this is the prophecy uh, that is to be understood and John is part of fulfilling as it relates and also, of course, to Jesus, right? So John is the voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. And Jesus, in fact, of course, is the Lord who people get to see as God's salvation. Now, when you move over into verse 7, verse 7 begins to give us the passion that John expresses towards repentance. Now, for John, repentance meant a lot more than just simply changing your mind. I mean, some definitions of repentance, if you were to look it up, it says to change your mind. And that's a very Greek way of looking at things. It's actually not very Jewish in that sense. Um, for in, in the Jewish sense, for example, for John, he believed that repentance radically altered one's direction in life. Uh, a repentance that led to a changed heart and a changed life. It's all-encompassing. It's not just, hey, I'm changing my mind on this. It's like I'm changing my being as it relates to this. It's a repentance that will bleed over into our jobs, our general lives, our ways that we connect with people on a daily, life, on a daily living. And, and so John's repentance is like, listen, like something in you needs to change it needs to join god's team completely not just your thinking but your entire way of being and functioning and then in verse 10 if we were to read verse 10 verse 10 says uh, what should we do then the crowd asked and then john answers anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none anyone who has food should share the same even tax collector came to tax collectors came to be baptized teacher they asked what should we do and then he goes on and he says don't collect any more than you're required to he told them and some soldiers asked him what should we do and he replied don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely be content with your pay and so in verse 10 people begin to respond to john's message with very important questions and and all of these questions are, are you know they're very relatable questions because when we hear messages, our answers or our questions are typically, hey, what should I do? And, and the people back then weren't that different that way. And so they were asking, hey, what should we do? It's a question that not only was pertinent in John's day, but it's very pertinent in our day as well. And so once we realize that we need repentance and grace and mercy and love, how do we all respond to that? How do we live out the type of life that is fitting for the kingdom of heaven? That's, that's a question I think we need to wrestle with on a regular basis. How do we live a life that's fitting of the kingdom of heaven? And how do we make sure that our lives are like the wheat instead of like the chaff, right? Like the, the wheat we keep, the chaff we burn off. So John gives some very practical and wonderful advice, right? And so let's take a look at what he says. He says, um, what John says, and by doing so, like if we listen to what he says and we listen to his advice, and by doing so, we're going to understand more clearly how we are to live today as we wait for the second coming of the Messiah, the Savior, as we wait for Jesus. 
So first off, I, I think it's fair for us to say that he, he would say, be a person of sharing. John doesn't mince words in verse 11. He doesn't get into some type of ethical debate. He doesn't try to get into some kind of theological discussion, doing his best to spend time on some small detail of Mosaic law. No, what John does is just plain and it's simple. It is share what you have with others. That's what it is. You got two shirts, give one away. You got enough food, give it away. John says that one of the ways that we will show that we have repented is that we will become a sharing people. In other words, another way to say it would be that um, we, would, we would be drawn towards generosity. God's a generous God. He's generous with His forgiveness. He's generous with His love, His, His affections for us. And so then to become more like Him is to be a generous people. And so we will share what we have. If we have two shirts or if we have extra food, then we do what God wants us to do. We share. Kind of simple, right? It is, and it isn't. Especially when sharing means at times giving something away that maybe we want to hang on to. Sharing that leads to giving is what John is talking about, though. If you've ever walked or worked with or been around small kids, uh, you're going to know what I mean. It doesn't take very long in life before you hear one child say, mine, right? Like this is mine, I want it. And it takes even less time uh, to grab something that's in our hands or hang on to something that we don't want someone to grab from us and just never let go of it. It actually reminds me of a, of, of a scene from a kid's movie called uh, Finding Nemo. And there are these seagulls in Australia. And instead of making that you know, chirping seagull sound, what you actually hear them saying is mine, 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 mine. And, and they're just yelling mine all the time. And when it's going after these little fish or whatever it is, they're all just chirping in mine, 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 mine. And, and to some extent, I think it's a social commentary on how we function in life. Um, that the, when there's something that we want, we, we stamp it and we say it's mine. I have a hard time letting go of something sometimes, right? Sharing is something that we must learn as children, as teens, and even as adults. Sharing is not always easy when we really think about it, right? Because it's not within our nature to give things away, it's within our nature to accumulate. When we put John's words into practice, well, then we begin to see how difficult all of this sharing can actually be in real life. I mean, all of us are able to give at any given point when it doesn't cost us something really, right? Like where it doesn't seem like an imposition. But giving sacrificially or with a sense of generosity, well, that costs us something a little more and that's a little harder to do. So we notice how we're often tempted to become like children all over again, saying things like, well, it's mine, and I want it, and I don't want to give it away. If you wanted one, you should have got one. Or, I, can, I can't wait until the day comes where I no longer have to share. <laughs> Somehow, we're, we're, we're kind of still like little children in this way. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not that we don't share. It's not that we can't be generous. It's that our tendency is still when it actually costs us something, when it makes us uncomfortable in some way. Uh, we don't tend to want to share in that way. 
And suddenly, we realize that what John's saying here is actually quite radical. Sharing what we have with others that ends up with us giving something away is radical. We don't dwell too much on, I actually don't want to dwell too much on this, but let's just say that if you have something that someone else needs, and you have more than one, then we need to learn how to share. Got two shirts, give one away. If you've got more than you need of food, well then give some away. Give out of your abundance, but at the same time, there are those spaces and time where we need to give in such a way that it makes us uncomfortable, so it's a greater step of faith towards the Lord. And that's the one that we tend to have more difficulty with, right? So be generous. The other thing that he talks about actually is be a person of integrity and honesty. So when Luke wanted to talk about integrity and honesty, it may seem a little strange that he wrote about tax collectors. But tax collectors and sinners were equal in areas of honesty and integrity in the ancient Eastern world. Both were seen as liars, they were seen as cheats, they were seen as crooks. Um, but then again, who could better display their repentance and holiness than an honest tax collector? The Apostle Matthew is an excellent example of a tax collector who had integrity and honesty. Tax collecting at the time of John the Baptist was complex, to say the least. The tax collector collected for the government many times by a person uh, sorry, for the government, many times by a person who had submitted the best bid for the job. So the way it would work is the government won't want taxes to get taken and, and people would bid on uh, how much they would charge the government in order to be able to collect the taxes, right? And so that's how they made their, their income. And whoever gave the best bid would typically win that particular contract. And then those people would hire out additional people to collect taxes from the local citizens and the addition of middlemen came the potential for extra surcharges. So these people were hired, but then there was the potential for these people to have extra surcharges, and, and then people would not only have to pay the local tax, but at times quite a number of additional surcharges as well. And so at the time, it was rather easy for tax collectors to fudge with the fig figures to make sure that they could get more than what the law allowed. And their bosses often even looked the other way. And the only people who were hurt were the little people who had to pay not only the tax, but the surcharges as well, or surcharges as well. So I want you to notice something though, because this is critical. Uh, often we hear about tax collectors in, in, in sermons, and certainly as we talk about Matthew, and as we talk about uh, Zacchaeus, if you're familiar with that story, we, we hear a lot about tax collectors in the Bible. But what happens here with John, or with Luke, sorry, is that John the Baptist does not tell tax collectors to stop being tax collectors. You see, in a time when they were considered traitors to their country, they were, he was not telling them stop being a tax collector. Instead, what he does say is, be a person of the kingdom at the job that you have right now. Be a beacon of honesty and integrity. Still make a living, but don't get rich at the expense of others. So don't push people out of the way to make more money. Don't see people as merely a means by which of getting something for yourself. Don't abuse people. Don't use people. John is wanting us to live justly and to live uprightly. And he's wanting us to 
slow down and treat people as people. He wants us to make a living, but not to do so in a manner in which we treat other people as a means to an end or just a way to make money and gain more influence. And so even the tax collector, he's like, be people of honesty and integrity. In your repentance, be generous, be people of integrity and honesty. And then thirdly, he says, be an outstanding worker, outstanding worker. Serving in the military at the time was not a job that a lot of people wanted. The pay was lousy. Uh, there wasn't a lot of good social uh, connection for people who were in the military because the military was often hated by the local population. Often, when you saw a soldier, you could bet that they had been drafted into the military because it's not something they wanted. The soldiers that John is talking to are most likely from King Herod's own troops. Roman soldiers tried their best to stay away from Jewish religious figures and Jewish crowds. And at any given moment, a crowd could be incited to attack them or throw things at them that could turn into something ugly really, really fast. And so there were Jewish soldiers that were sent in for a lot of the time to deal with the people. And so what John is dealing with is people who are working for others, whether they would like it or not. John is dealing with people who worked very long hours, who barely received enough pay to exist on. People at times like this, right? Like how many of us had ever had a conversation with someone else about how our job is unfair, how the pay is lousy, and the boss is perhaps the worst person on the planet. And so John addresses this situation, and he does it very, very clearly. He says, don't abuse your situation at work or in any other place. If you have some seniority or some clout at work, don't use it to bully other people around. Don't just simply use it to get your way. If you have a door with your name on it, don't think that you can just misuse people or make them do your bidding. Don't take advantage of your power or your position. If you make more than other people at work, don't think that it's okay to just throw it in their face and make them feel less than you. The same goes to when we're at the store or the restaurant and we go out in public. Don't look down on someone because their job would be considered by many as lowly in some way. Don't misuse your position, be it a soldier, a white collar business person, a parent, a grandparent, or a mentor. Be the type of believer who's known for being an encouragement. And once again, it's simple, but it's not easy. You see, John's preaching about repentance. He's preaching about the idea of stop doing things the way you have been doing them. It is time for you to turn and begin to do things God's way. And God's way includes a whole lot more than just the religious side of life. It's every aspect of your being. So John was not just preaching repentance, but he was preaching holiness. He was preaching the coming of the Messiah. And John was getting people ready. People who were listening that day were totally unaware with, with the fact that just within a short amount of time, Jesus, Israel's Messiah, would in fact begin his ministry. And here John's preaching about the coming of the Messiah. And in less than a few days, the Messiah appeared and was baptized by John. This is a very awesome story. And we today, we, we don't know how soon it might be before the Lord shows up and as both king and judge. 
We today do not know how soon it might be for Jesus to return to our earth. And so, what are we to do? Right? Because that's the question that people were asking John in his preaching of repentance. What are we to do now, modern day people? How are we to live today? Well, John reminds us this day that we are to be a people who know how and who practice the ministry of sharing, of generosity. That we are to be a people of integrity and honesty. That we are to be uh, people who, are, who others see as the very best workers. This is what John is calling to. This preparatory work was the idea of he's, he's getting the, let's say, the, the foundation of people's hearts prepared for the message that the Messiah was going to come with. He was calling people out of the way that the world was doing things into a way that God does things so that they'll be more receptive to the things of God. I want you to think about that for a second. When we're like God with generosity, when we're like God with honesty and integrity, when we are like God by being people who give our best in our workspaces, we are more prepared to hear what God has for us. It's an interesting thing to me that John is not just concerned about our religious life, but our entire life that he's calling into repentance, physically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually. And this is an important message. I truly believe that if we want to hear more from God, it begins with us preparing our hearts to be able to hear from God. And in order to do that, we need to repent of living the life that the world is telling us to live instead of living a life the way God tells us to live. My encouragement to you would be this. Live life as God wants it. Be generous. Be exceedingly generous. Be people who are honest and people of integrity and be the best worker, employer, business person, factory worker, whatever it is, do your absolute best in that space and don't abuse your scenario in that space. And when we do these things, we're more likely, like when we do things God's way, we're more likely to hear from God at the same time. So let's prepare our hearts to hear from God. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here, and I pray, Lord, that this would be a message that we would take to heart, Lord, that we would recognize that repentance is not just simply about our religious life, but it's about our entire being. And so, Lord God, that we would be a people who are generous, that we would be a people who are uh, people of integrity and honesty, and that we would be a people who would be good, godly workers, that we would never use our positions for personal gain, that we wouldn't treat people badly because of whatever roles they have. But Lord God, that we would recognize that we are a people who are here to represent you. And then in doing so, Lord, we may hear from you more regularly. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen.